Welcome to A Little Forward, a podcast by Freeform. I'm Jenny Yang. I'm April Quio, and we're your hosts. What is on tap this week? This week, we're talking all about career goals, work advice, mm. everyone's least favorite but most relatable feeling, imposter syndrome. Ugh, imposter syndrome is the worst. And you know what? I'm here to proclaim that we are not imposters. We're good hosts. Yes, that means you need to hit subscribe right now. So today, we'll be joined by writer and fellow, the bold type stan, Hannah Georges from The Atlantic. Uh, she actually recently wrote an amazing piece about how the bold type has covered workplace hostility, and we can't wait to talk to her about it. So if you're ready, let's do it. Let's move the conversation a little forward. It is time for Struggle of the Week. April, what's your biggest workplace struggle? Oh, so many. But I would say my main struggle is around waiting for other people's approval. So Jenny and I share this. We're both writers. I write in TV. She writes in TV. And one of the worst things about working in this industry is that you have to wait for people to say that you can do the thing that you know you can do. So you might have a really good script that you're really proud of and you might have to wait months or sometimes even years to see if someone likes it and they're willing to support you. You have to deal with so much rejection along the way. And so for me, it can be really hard not to internalize having to wait for all this approval as getting the message that I can't do it, you know, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like there's it's one thing to believe in yourself and know that you're a confident writer. And it's another thing to wait for like literally 60 people to also agree so that you have you are able to move forward in your career. <laughs> that, for sure. Like that, that hit me hard right there. Yeah. Oh I mean, God. basically, that's my struggle, too. But for me, I think my biggest is like related to that, just a constant fear of failure. You know, no big deal. <laughs> just a constant like existential crisis. Yes. That's right. I share that. You know, um, like I feel like there's always a critical little voice in the back of my head that gets me nervous sometimes to take creative risks or certain even just career risks. I have to like talk myself down from it. You know what I mean? I have to talk back to that voice, like be like, just shut up. You know, you have to. You need to tell that voice to stuff it because you're incredible. Could I just record your voice on a voice memo that I could just hit play on every time I need a little pep? little pep talk just keep this little clip with you hey voice in jenny's head you're canceled get out of here (laughs) she's iconic oh thank you yeah so we're actually gonna be talking to hannah georges today who is an amazing writer and she's going to like hopefully give us some some knowledge about how we can also overcome imposter syndrome Before we get into this week's interview with Hannah Georges, we have a little treat for you. We asked some of our Freeform friends what their character's biggest struggle is and how they're getting through it. We're going to sprinkle some of their answers throughout the season. So to start, here's the bold types Katie Stevens. I'm Katie Stevens. I play Jane on the bold type on Freeform. I think that Jane probably, like me, struggles with some anxiety and uh, is a little too hard on herself because she struggles from perfectionism. And um, I deal with that on the regular and I kind of just sometimes have to talk to myself and be like, permission to be human. Every single person does it. Everybody, you know, wants to be better than they are or, you know, compares themselves to people. 
And I just kind of have to like take a second and take a deep breath and remind myself that like there is something so uniquely special about who I am and that there's only one of me in the world and to like find confidence in that, that I can move through the world being exactly who I am and like showing my true colors and that's enough. Thank you, Katie Stevens, for sharing that with us. If you're not watching The Bold Type, what are you doing with your life? Look out for more of those little sound bites from more freeform friends throughout the season. And now, time for a big interview. Our guest today is Hannah Georges. She is a culture writer at The Atlantic. Hello, hello. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you Hannah. for being here. Thank you I'm for so having me. Excited. Okay, so I'm wondering if you struggle with imposter syndrome. I know a lot of our listeners have gone through this or know people that have or have read about it in think pieces. Do you struggle with it? What are your thoughts on it? What are your experiences with it? Where do you land on imposter syndrome? Where do I land? Um, So I remember a few years ago, my friend Jasmine Hughes, who's at the New York Times, wrote a piece about imposter syndrome um, and just navigating that after getting the job at the Times. And it's it's interesting to go back and read it now and sort of recognize who I was at that point and know that it's not exactly where I am now, partly because of doing the work. That's kind of felt like the only antidote for me, at least, is like, okay, if I feel all this anxiety, I'm just going to channel it into the work, not in a way that's, that makes it so that my writing itself feels anxious, but that I, if that's always a thing floating around in the back of my head, then the only thing I can do to move past it is to keep doing the thing. The other thing when I need like a quick moment in the mirror of like getting myself together um, is I think all the time about uh, Heaven Nagatu and Tracy Clayton, who hosted um, Another Round, had all the time would talk about doing things with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes. And so I'm like, there is somebody out there somewhere who's applying for this thing, who knows they're not qualified, who's doing it anyway. So like, why not me? Absolutely. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, there have been times where I'm like, if I give this external party, this like publication and this whatever, the opportunity to reject me, maybe they're actually going to say yes. But if I reject myself in advance, they'll never have the opportunity. So I have to like let someone else do it. I can't do it for myself. Um, and that's been a helpful framework. Just thinking not not about wanting to be accepted by things, but just like having my goals be more around like application and like putting myself out there instead. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I mean, by the way, shout out to Sarah Hagi, the writer who got the yes. confidence of a mediocre yes. white man yes. into the zeitgeist. Yes. yes. Ugh. It's so important. Right now, some dude named Andy has a briefcase with nothing in it. And he's like, I'm getting the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring that uh, same energy. He has a briefcase. There's nothing in that There's briefcase, air. honey. Just air. And he is confident. We need to bring that same energy. You're right. so right. Oh, that Andy. really does. Andy. You know, he grew up wearing puka shell necklaces. Andy believes in himself. He really, really does. does. Um, you recently wrote an article for The Atlantic about the bull type and its most recent incarnation about workplace issues. And we are we are just freaking out about it because the, the, the character that you focused on, Patrick. Oh, boy. Is like tr- <laughs> trigger warning. Truly. You know, like he's driving me up a wall every, and you perfectly encapsulated thank you, why. Thank yes. you. I, yeah. I want to fight him. For new and exciting reasons every episode. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I want a fist fight <laughs> on the street. <laughs> How would you describe the character Patrick as an archetype in the workplace for us? Oh, God. Right. So he's like your perfect combination of like mansplaining, speaking over women. Um, you know, he's in a position of power. Right. So he assigns 
stories to Jane, who's one of the writers, but also speaks over Jacqueline Carlyle, the presumably the editor in chief. So yes. he sort of does this amazing thing where he manages to grate <laughs> both the people who are presumably working under him and like someone who has been his superior for years. So it's just really amazing and wide ranging how a you know how annoying he can be. Yeah, like that's what blows my mind is that like he can come in and be this like, I'm here because I know this magazine is for women. I support women. Now, women, right. do what I say. <laughs> right, oh. right, right. Which is like, which is, I don't know, at least for me, I think it's significantly worse and more annoying to deal with than somebody who's just very transparent about not valuing women's opinions. Exactly. Like if you do that, okay, that's who you are. But you want to say that this is in the name of feminism. Which is it? Like pick one. What do you think is the most insidious part about Patrick's sort of agenda and behavior in the workplace towards all his female co-workers? I think for me it registers as not just um, like an individualistic seeking of power, which is one thing in the workplace, right? We've, you know, that's fairly not simple to navigate, but at least understandable. What's difficult for me is that he frames all of it as though he knows better than women about women's lives. Um, And I think that that is a particular kind of pernicious Oh, that's so true. When I think about how you just described Patrick, this character, easily in my early 20s, I would have totally fallen for this guy. Right. Oh, really? I'm not even going to lie. Like, this is like definitely early 20s Jenny, you know, getting attracted to the Mactivist. Oh, my God. Who totally signals, (laughs) right? Who like externally signals that they're down with the cause. And then you're like, yes. And then you hang out with them and they're like toxic. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, Wow. FYI. No, I feel that that's very relatable because I think that (laughs) honestly, I think that men sort of perform this kind of feminism as like a mating ritual, not knowing (gasps) that they're like identifying themselves as potentially problematic base. Peacocking, more cocking. They're they're peacocking. Uh, Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So, Hannah, you work in media, just like the characters on the Bolt type. So are there any other storylines or anything they've covered on the show besides the whole Patrick ordeal that were super relatable or resonated with you and your experience? Yeah, I think that one of the things that I've that I've always appreciated about the show, right, is that it captures, um, I think in Sutton's storyline, what it feels like to go for something that's sort of not in the lane you're currently occupying, that's like a big dream or a big, a big swing for you that you don't really have a safety net for, right? And I think Sutton's character really grew a lot on me because she sort of did that really, um, I almost said boldly. And Ooh, I love it. Please lean <laughs> no. in. Boldly TM. <laughs> So good. (laughs) No, but one of the reasons Sutton really grew on me um, is that I think the show really fleshed out her anxieties about pursuing the side of her that's interested in fashion and wants to pursue being somebody's assistant for um, a paycheck that doesn't cover all the things that she needs and what that negotiation process looked like. And I think as I was coming up um, into media, a lot of that felt like really confusing and I didn't have people sort of immediately pointing me to what a baseline salary should look like or what any of these sort of things were, um, just because that's not the background that I had. Let's kind of go back to that very sweet spot right after college, right before you started to sort of full-time approach a career, get into the workplace. For you, what were some of the misconceptions that you had once you finally got into the workplace that you had to be like, ooh, I got to unlearn this? Oh, boy. I think it's tempting to believe that if you do good work 
and people see you doing good work that naturally you won't have to also advocate for yourself to sort of get raises or to be seen or to kind of grow in the ways that you want to grow in your career, right? And I think as I've as I've um, been in the workforce for several years now, it's becoming clear that I actually can't count on other people to always see that, but that it's important for me to not just wait until it's like review season or like performance, you know, evaluation time, but to like keep track of the things that I've been doing and the things that I've been accomplishing. So when it comes time to like ask for something or to say, you know, I actually think I would be a good fit to do X, Y, and Z, that I have a sort of proven record of what's that, what that has looked like that comes from me because I'm the only person who's clocking like that, <laughs> you yeah. know? So you actually wrote down a log. I love a good memo. I really do. <laughs> Tell us about uh, your memos. <laughs> did you actually send a memo to your boss to be like, this is what I've done. This yeah. is what I deserve. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. That's, yeah. that's so um, cool. I yeah so in a in a previous job I sort of wanted to um have a role that more clearly reflected the ways in which I was writing yes but also doing a lot of like team building stuff and sort of um helping spearhead a lot of the um or you know sort of do some oversight of the work that other writers of color were doing um and so you know I compiled a memo that was like well here are the things that I've like ghost edited without credit and that I've you know the the things that I've helped pull together and that I've you know things that sort of disappear and live in different places and don't have my byline attached to them which you can clearly see um and that was really helpful because it was just a lot of things on paper that is an incredible moment of self-advocacy so we would love to hear more about that kind of like what is your philosophy or mantra on helping pull other people people of color up, like yeah. recommending people for jobs, but also not being the person who it's like that you're here because you right. advocate for people of color. Right. Only. How do you kind of navigate that balance? Right. When women and people of color advocate for other people of marginalized backgrounds, they face like hostility or sort of resentment that white folks doing that don't. So mm -hmm. I like, do want to be mindful of that and sort of not um, speak as though it's this like free terrain in the workplace and like everybody loves it all the time. Like there have been times where I've met like pushback or people have been you know, a little like tired of the shtick, um, which for me isn't a shtick so much as it is just like the thing that I care about. Um, but I think I think it looks like different things. Right. So making sure that, you know, I'm still doing my work and the thing that I'm hired to do and also saying, you know, kind of like the memo thing, like having the wherewithal to say, actually, some of the work that I'm doing when I'm specifically pointing out people we should be reaching out to or suggesting big projects or things that we could be better about. That's a whole separate body of work, and I would like for that to be recognized. So just like asking somebody sometimes, like a manager or whoever else, to look at it and be like, you're doing a thing. We'll acknowledge it. Um, and we'll not just acknowledge it as a thing that you're doing, but also build it into the context of your role. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Do I get a diversity bonus? <laughs> that is my question. This is what I'm hearing. Okay, I am a writer, yes, and I'm amazing. Yes. But will I get a diversity bonus for all the extra work I'm doing? Please. This has never to occurred advocate. to me. Yes. No, By I'm the way, saying, the way know? you put it just now has never occurred to me because I've still been in that position where they're like, hey, bro, we know you have a, a, a binder full of black right. women. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? And I'm like, yes, I do. But also, are you valuing my time? The fact that I'm like willing to help you in this right. way because you're not making those own sort of like diversity pushes on your own. You're right. like relying on me for it. Right. So, yeah, let's be paid for it. Right. For I mean, sure. the other That's the incredible. other flip side of that, right, is that I don't. I mean, I've told people I'm not, I can't in good conscience recommend someone for a position that will be hostile toward them. That's and fair. I'm like, well, you need to fix what the climate is at your publication, which I know about for, you know, in multiple avenues um, before I'm willing to like hand over my Rolodex. Like, Absolutely. Uh, you're good. Wow. You're like, say all that. what? <laughs> no, what this is, I, I just want to step back and appreciate what you're saying here. You're saying, you know, one of the things you had to learn right after college was 
it's not about just how competent you are. Sure, yeah. And we all know this maybe in right. our brains, but right. in our heart we want to believe like, mm, I'm good at A. I get straight A's. I'm good at grades. <laughs> yes. Therefore, when I get into this, the real world, they're going to see that. Right. And I'm going to get a straight A again. No. Right? And and so I think that the idea, number one, for you to have learned pretty quickly, it sounds like, that to, you had to advocate for yourself. You have to, like, defend yeah. your position, essentially. Right. Um, and And also to do that with others, to support others in doing that. I mean, that's amazing. Um, uh, one final thing is, if you could give one piece of advice to uh, our our people coming up out of college, entering the workforce, what would that be? So this is very in keeping with my point about memos, but document everything, right? So like positive things that you've done, positive interactions you've had. Like I have a folder in both my emails. It's just like nice things that people have said. And like on days when you feel like your work is garbage and you don't want to, you know, you don't feel good about it. It's nice to sort of go back and be like, no, historically, <laughs> I've had some nice notes about it. Yes. Um, and then the flip side of that is also like anytime there's a sort of negative encounter, whether you reach out to HR or not or whatever it is, like having that stuff on the record and like a thing that you can point to um, has been really important for me. And I know a lot of women have said the same. So keep receipts of all the things. <laughs> Good advice. Incredible advice. <laughs> yes. Well, Hannah, it's been amazing to have you. Um, we want to know how can we support you out in the real world or online? Oh, man. Well, there's a lovely little website called theatlantic.com. So please read it sometimes. But no, I think more sort of more importantly, like be there for each other, which is just like the thing that me and my soft little heart would really appreciate. <laughs> How kind. Oh, I love a soft heart. <laughs> so important. Community is so important, which I think you've totally documented in, in this talk and shown just how we got to pull each other up. We got to be there for each other. All right. We're I'm, all we got. Absolutely. We're all we got. Thanks, too. y'all. Y'all, Hannah gave us a great guide on how to handle awkward workplace situations like take notes, right? But like, what if you're completely over it and want to quit your job? As we do every week, we have Matt Belisai here to give us some life advice. Take it away, Matt. Hey, this is Matt Belisai, and I'm here to help you get your life together. Every week, we have some questions about our topic of the week. I'm going to choose the best one and give my best stab at some advice. It might be good, it might be terrible, but I'm giving it anyway. So here it is. This week, our question is from Jamie from Long Beach. I hate my job and have no motivation when I'm here. Is there a sign when I'll know it's time to quit my job and follow my dreams? Is there ever a good time to leave a steady job? We've all had jobs we've hated, and every day all we do is go in and just think about when we're going to poop at the office so we can get paid for it. Listen, I had a job where at least 50% of my time was just finding a new bathroom to poop in. And I found the best one, and I'm not telling anybody where it is. But to the question, sadly, no, there's not going to be a sign to let you know when to quit your job and follow your dreams. We all wish that Mufasa appeared in the stars at night and told us how to live our lives. But sadly, we're not Simba and we don't have a sexy bushy mane either. In real life, you just gotta make decisions and convince yourself to be confident in the moment and hope for the best. That's really all you can do. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Hopefully you learn from it and you can go on 
and move to the next decision. That's really the most important thing. That's the most important thing to realize as you get older too, is nobody knows what the heck they're doing. Nobody, all the people you look up to, all the people who you think have their life together, they're all idiots. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. Everyone is an idiot just trying to convince everybody else that they know what they're doing. So you're not alone. So just remember, there's not going to be some magic sign. Quit your job if you feel like you can. If not, maybe it's not the right moment. Maybe it'll come down the line. We'll see. I hope that helped. If not, well, who am I? I'm Matt Bellisai, and that's my advice. Ugh, shout out to Matt. I swear I already feel a little bit smarter. So if you need more Matt in your life, which you do, then make sure to check out his podcast, Unhappy Hour. And of course, he'll be back here each week to help us get our lives right. That's been our show, April. Episode two, we're done. I do feel less impostery after getting show number two done. Ugh, we can we can continue podcasting with our heads held high. Thank you, Freeform, for believing in us. We believe in ourselves. Y'all, it's time. Share your thoughts about the show on social media with the hashtag a little forward because every week we're going to give you a little wink, a little insider code for the true stands through the credits who are listening all the way to the end. Tweet us your answer to our question on the hashtag a little forward this week. Tell us your best favorite affirmation. Okay, mine is Jenny. You are dope. That's really simple. That's just all I need. Nice and sweet and to the point. You are dope. Yes. And while you're posting, I say you follow us on Twitter too, okay? Follow Freeform on Twitter at FreeformTV. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JennyYangTV. That's J-E-N-N-Y-Y-A-N-G-TV. And you can find me at April K. Quio. That's Q-U-I-O-H. Quio. So yeah, don't forget get that spelling right. Get Sorry. that get that West African spelling right. Yes. <laughs> don't forget to tell your friends about the show. Make sure to rate and subscribe to A Little Forward on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. This show is a collaboration between Freeform and Pineapple Street Media. Executive produced by Sasha Kai Parker, Kasime Bernard, and Maddie Sprung Kaiser. Produced by Agarenish, Ashagre, and Josh Gwynn with editing help from Jess Jupiter. Our original music is by Michelle Moore. And that's our show. We'll see you next week. And remember, keep receipts of all the things. (laughs) Bye. Bye.